0: No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's nation three zero
1: for 30% off of your purchase. Welcome back to another episode. As you guys are hearing this podcast episode, the first event of the pro walleye series of head-to-head fishing just wrapped up on my local body of water here on the Detroit River. And... You know, I thought it was an awesome, awesome thing to follow along with. Uh, I know I had Andy and Matt on earlier a couple episodes ago to talk and tell you guys about what head to head is all about, um, kind of the rules or the ideas came, you know, came up with, etc. But now we already have the first event um, completed, and it was a lot of fun to follow along with. Um, it was exciting, nail biting, and you know what, the bite for the fish was so different on the river. Um, for the week that these guys were here fishing that I thought it was a very um, awesome way for us local anglers and any other anglers looking to come to fish the Detroit River. It provided us with a very um, unique perspective of how all these guys kind of broke down the water and were able to consistently put fish in the boat even when the bite kind of seemed to shut off. Um, So what I did was i brought joe okada on the podcast and joe is a uh he's a professional walleye angler you guys and gals probably recognize him from the the cabela's national walleye tour in the past but he is one of the pros that was invited to fish this series this year and i brought him on the podcast to kind of talk about his introduction to the head to head fishing format what he thought about it and how his first event turned out and um He also broke down how he fished the Detroit River, how he had to change his unique style, and he really gives us a lot of cool insight of how we can fish it when the bite turns off. So without any further ado, here is Joe Okada. Mr. Okada, how you doing, buddy? Good, how are you? Doing great. You you back and settled in okay?
2: Oh, yeah, I haven't really unloaded much of the boat or truck yet, but I'm back. It
1: feels good. <laughs> just kinda ran in and spent some time with the family, I'm sure. Yes. That's yes. awesome, man. Well, hey, I want to say thanks, you know, for, for sitting down and taking the time to do this. I know you've had probably uh a, a mentally and physically draining past ten days uh being over here in Detroit. Um but I kinda just want to get right into it because uh you know, while it's fresh on people's mind, I think you know, this this past week um, has really amplified for head to head fishing and really brought uh, a new format to light. I know it was out last year and it's been something that's still, you know, kind of new and in, in the infancy stages, but, um, it really blew up here in Detroit with, uh, you know, our famous walleye run. And I kind of just wanted to, to, to pick your brain on it and, you know, kind of talk about the beginnings of, you know, how you were contacted by head to head and what kind of like what you thought the format was to begin with.
2: Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, it is. So you live right in Detroit?
1: Just south of it. So like I'm out in like you know farm country, south so like on your way to Ohio, right before you get into oh, Ohio. Nice. Yeah, there's a t- there's a county called Monroe. I'm right in Monroe County before you get into Ohio. So I'm very close to the river. I'm only like 25, 30 minutes away.
2: So if while you were watching, you were like that guy needs to shift over like a hundred yards and he'll be on the money.
1: Oh my god, or- <laughs> that river is so there's it was so cool to watch you guys fish it in so many different ways. Just growing up here locally and like how we always fish it, you know, like the, the big, the big way to fish it is like, you know, vertical jigging with one ounce weights that everybody kind of typically sees. Um, you know, you can have great success with that. A lot of guys handline line at this time of year too, but you know, it was really cool to see how all you guys kind of, you know, came into a body of water that you're somewhat familiar with, but not super familiar with and, you you know, getting the fish to bite day after day is, uh, you know, what I really want to get into. And I thought it was awesome to see you guys do that. Nice. You bet. Um, yeah. So to the beginning head to head contacts you and says, Hey, Joe Okada, we want you to be on this professional walleye series. What was your initial reaction? Did you know much about it or your, your, your thoughts?
2: Uh, at first I, well, I had watched. Uh, I, I didn't. I hadn't watched much of it the previous year, but the stuff I did see looked pretty cool, and it, you know, very similar to some of the stuff that you see on the Bass Side now, just as far as, uh, you know, bringing the coverage to you in real time as it's happening for a lot of the top part of the field, and and that's really exciting, and that's and that's how, you know, fans of the sport really get an inside look at the progression of a tournament day from start to finish and how anglers. See the ups and downs, and 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 the struggles and the successes throughout the day, and it just adds—it's so much more engaging to to view that in real time, uh, you know, versus, you know, just late later when when we we all read about it. And I thought that was that was pretty cool. The, as far as the format goes, you know, different strategies are involved. I think um, I am definitely going to have to realign myself with a different strategy to fish. Um, uh, maybe a little bit more aggressively than I had in the past, you know, before, you know, you're looking for five bites. And so you just can keep telling yourself that, Hey, as long as as I'm on a one bite an hour pace, as long as I have the quality, you know, I can be, you know, very thorough in this area and really start to pick apart and develop my own pattern in this area with, with a bunch of time on my side to get it done because you only need to bring in five bites and now you start seeing that scoreboard, you know, rally, and uh, you, you start to feel that there might be a feeding window opening up or whatever, and you start to feel a little bit more pressure to get your stuff together and start getting those bites to keep up or you're going to be left in the dust. And so uh, that's really going to, and, and, and that's not always the type of fisherman that I am. So it's definitely out of my comfort zone. And it's something that I have to get used to doing, you know, a, a fish on the fly type feeling more i think i have to get used to versus um just being comfortable in an area and knowing that i'm going to get the bite sooner or later and and just figuring out how to do it you know uh two two totally different strategies so i didn't know if i would be comfortable with this new format but i it was it looked exciting and i i wanted to give it a try just to just to keep the whole thing exciting and you know there was several anglers that i consider my my peers and good friends that uh had got the invite and i wanted to I wanted to keep you know competing against them and um, and so yeah so I, I jumped in and and after after this last tournament I can say that I I don't regret it it was I felt some excitement that I hadn't felt in a, a while and 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 the best part was I wasn't even really competing to win as, as bad as that sounds I was just just to survive the first two days to make the head to head cut to have a chance to win was super exciting and after after a, a little rally on Tuesday. I just said to myself, "This was super fun. I'm super glad I'm here to do this." And uh, and 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 after, and then looking back in the tournament, I mean, the whole head-to-head crew did an amazing job at bringing that excitement to life for all you guys to watch. So. Pretty
1: cool. Uh, oh yeah. I mean there's a lot of hours yeah, people at work that didn't get they didn't get too much work done this week. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, you know, some of my friends texting back and forth were like, oh man, I'm just uh, every chat second I get, I got this thing up and you know, we're texting each other live updates back and forth if one of us can't be on, so it was really cool to see. Um you know, you kinda talked a little bit about it, about how you kinda had to break it down, you know, based off of like other tournaments that you fished in, in the past when it comes to just surviving the day right it's like it's that pressure where you can almost compartmentalize and break it down into segments where you're like hey this is what i gotta do to survive day one okay now here's day two day three did that help you when it came to your fishing style um breaking it down like that rather than um you know a more traditional tournament
2: for sure it did and and i think one of the one of the definitely one of the things you felt is once you feel that You might actually be out of it for the day. You know, if you're, if once you go into the head to head field and and let's say the guy you're going against just lands on a wad of them and doesn't let off the gas and you haven't seen a bite that could even touch that, that bite, you know, and and what that does is it frees up your mind. It breaks the handcuffs free and it allows you to just go do some things that were in the back of your mind that you didn't want to sacrifice time to go try when the race was fairly tight and you needed to secure that, that tight race and, and not try to fall further behind the pace. And, and so once, sometimes once you, once you feel like, Hey, to, you know, today you might not go so well, let's go expand our, let's go expand some things and try to be a better fisherman for the next day ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what allows you to, to try things. For, for example, I was, I started off trolling this thing And it was probably like a 10 minute pass if you, you know, from start to finish, from the moment I started letting out my line to the moment I was peeling out my line, I probably had about seven to 10 minutes of that, of a trolling pass, but I was only getting bit on two or three key spots within that stretch. So I knew when my bites were going to come by the third day, which brings me to another point we can get to later as far as practice goes, but, um, I, I, I knew I could get, bites once i once i really i mean once i made myself dizzy on that spot i learned it better um and so once once i knew where i was getting bit and where i could count on getting bites i said to myself okay you need to just quit being inefficient with this trolling gig and stop and try to make repetitive casts to the spots where you're actually getting your bites and seeing this activity on your locator at and see if you can pick up more fish per hour so I think halfway through the tournament, you know, I found myself picking up a jigging stick, a because it felt like it was the more efficient presentation to extract fish off small hot pots spots of that uh, pass, and b because it's just super fun to pitch a jig around and get and get bit. So oh yeah, um, so that's that's kind of what I did. But uh, you know, going back to it, we you know we don't have a week to dial in stuff and to learn areas well. You're you're learning that in real time during competition because you had to spend those three days going from boundary to boundary of that entire river just to scratch the surface and get a glimpse of what might be taking place in the days to come and start wrapping your brain around how you need to address what's what's happening and try to get your crystal ball out and make some predictions you know
1: yeah because that i mean you're racing the clock but you're also you know compared to like the nwt the way you guys fish it this was like you just want to keep boating fish you know what i mean one after the other Because and get obviously to at least that two pound mark, because that's going to at least keep you in the game and keep you, you know, lethal throughout this whole thing. If you're if you're just trolling for one or two big fish, you know, maybe an hour, that might not be enough to to put you up on the leaderboard or make it to the next day.
2: Exactly. I think strategies. Yeah. And and, then all it is, is it's still it's still a game. It's still a playing field. And no matter what the playing field you're on, there's going to be different strategies involved to be to, to do the best at that particular on that particular playground. So right, um, so you'll see different strategies evolve and come and come into the um, to the light with this format versus other formats. Uh, just like you would see in a three fish in a three big fish tournament, you know, jackpot tournament or or a five fish limit tournament, how you see people you know really strive to just get. Those quality bites and um, and and some, but but in something like this, you need you need some quantity. And in, in the case of the Detroit River, I mean, maybe not so much this week that we've seen, but you know, if there was a lot more females being active, you know, mixed in with these groups of males, you did had you would have had to figure out not only how to catch a bunch of them, but how to catch a bunch of big ones just to stay competitive. Because someone would have figured it out, right. and you'd have gotten left behind. So yeah, it's it's neat to. It's neat to try to formulate different strategies for this new format. And I have a lot to learn.
1: <laughs> so, so coming into the Detroit river, what did you know about it? And kind of like, what did you implement on that day one and day two of practice? Like, you know, what, what what have you heard in the past and kind of like, what was your game plan coming in day one, day two?
2: Okay. Well, it was, well, we were limited to the U S side only. So that, that was actually a benefit because there's so much water in play if you bring in canada right so you don't know where to throw your which basket to throw your eggs in and um so we were dealing with the u.s waters only i can't tell you how many how much time i spent scrubbing through youtube videos and just (laughs) trying to learn stuff over the off season about the detroit river because i've only been there a couple times and in usually that was for a lake erie tournament where the, we kind of write the river off, and we just go focus on the you underwater. know a part of the lake fifty miles away. Yep, and and uh, that becomes a logistical nightmare. But that's um, but that that's what we used to do. So I have very little experience in the river. All I learned was you vertical jig heavy jigs, and when the water starts to get dirty, you put the crankbaits out and you hand line. And if there's enough fish in the river, one of those two tactics will get you bit. And so that's what I went in for the first day for the first full day that's what I spent my time doing and eventually I started working my way down to the bottom where I was hoping to find a pattern where fish would continue to come to me you know versus fish leaving me further up river as they finish their spawning cycle and then dump so I wanted to find something where I felt like fish would replenish on a daily basis for me and I wouldn't have to spend half my day relocating them every day and I you know little did I know that wasn't soup you know they didn't really play out that way i think there's so many fish in that river that you know all these bites were extended throughout the week for most of these guys and they were kind of able to lock onto what they found and kind of milk it most of the week from from, from what i've seen especially nick he found that little magical yeah. cut there and um just did good work but that's what he found i don't know if that you know that's not going to be the norm for where we go in uh, all these other places i think I think you're going to see a lot more hopscotching around from a lot of the top anglers, as they try to just, like you said, just survive each day, and piece together what they need for that particular day instead of just find one, one spot. But the but but uh, you know, to Nick's credit, that spot had several spots within that spot, and he had to make micro adjustments to get those fish to go the way he intended them to. And so it still took a lot of skill and knowledge of of all that stuff to put it together. So congratulations to Nick on, on an amazing win out there.
1: Yeah. He did a great job and it's not like, you know, it it, kind of in a way as you progress on in the tournament, it's like every day is kind of a clean slate. So it's not like you can, you know, rest on your morals that you had the day before, you know, you've got to bring it every single day and anybody listening to this, the format. So, you know, when it came down to the very final day, it's basically championship day. Nick and, you know, it was Isaac, I believe, going head-to-head with one another. You know, if he could have been crushing it four days in a row, but on the last day, if you choke or you don't bring it that day, you know, you're left in the dust. And so that's why it's it's important to find, you know, that consistent bite, I think.
2: Yeah. And there's pros and cons to that. Sometimes part part of the brain says, you know, you almost want to give the, that angler credit for how he's made it to that point in the tournament and allow him to use that weight to carry him through the tournament. But then the other, the, the exciting part about this format is like you said, it's a, it's a blank slate. So it doesn't matter what you did the days before.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And you don't, you don't get that momentum to carry you through the tournament. You're all at zero and you got to make it happen every single day. So mm-hmm. um, it, it, it was really cool, man. Really. It was really neat. And I'm, I'm thankful that I was able to get out there and, and play.
1: So what was your roughest day?
2: Um, per, well, per, well, per, the easy answer is the the zero, the day I'd never put up a scorable fish. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was still good because I was able to exercise a couple different spots that I had been wanting to go fish on and break out the other techniques that I enjoy doing. I ended up, you know, that, that day I ended up pan lining, you know, long lining, trolling planer boards, vertical jigging, pitching jigs. Um, I, I, I did a bunch of different stuff and it didn't really work out, but at least I got to go run a fresh rotation and try different things. And, you know, once I was what, 15 pounds down or something like that, and my day wasn't looking so hot, it was just nice to kind of get out and fish for free and know that, yeah, you know, no matter what happens today, I still get to fish the next day. Right. And, um, still get, still get, you know, still cash check because everybody that fishes all three days in the head to head bracket doesn't go home empty handed. So it was still, it wasn't bad either. And like, I just want, I just wanted to kind of start on a good, you know, on, on the right foot for this season. I didn't, I, I didn't feel like I had a winning program to lock this thing up by any means to, from the start. So it was, a. It was it was actually a, just a good way to start the season and get a feel for this format. And now my brain is rolling in the right direction. I think that I should be able to, um, maybe hopefully do okay in a couple others this year with any luck.
1: Yeah, you know what? I'm interested to see how you know the anglers, the 32 anglers that are on uh, you know this tournament series with head to head when I see them venture out into their normal tournaments or, you know, other tournaments that we follow you guys along on throughout the year, I kind of want to see, like, I wonder if it'll make you even sharper. You know what I mean? It's just kind of get, like you said, getting the brain working, getting things flowing. Um, you know, you're not just saving up for that first opening event on one series. You know, when you start to fish different things like this, I think it's going to make you all better in my opinion.
2: I agree. It really is. It's going to be, it's a super good exercise, especially for my fishing style. I love to have, a week's worth of practice put in where I know my game plan and I know alternative game plans and I've had enough time to really dive into the, the fine details of each of those patterns so that I can, um, make, you know, I already have, I am already very comfortable with what I expect to do for the, for the tournament. Mm -hmm. And this is, this flips it upside down. Now I just have to have a bunch of stuff on my boat so that when I go by an area and something feels, right about it and i just say okay something felt right here here's how i would have here's how i would approach it if i was just trying to figure this area out on a day of practice and then just go fish it now i you know under tournament tournament conditions with the clock ticking i have to also get that same gut feeling and act on it and not second guess myself and just go for it and um, and i i know that's going to make me a better fisherman overall and that's that's why we all end up doing, you know, none of us are doing this to get rich by any means. It's just because we like to fish and we like to try to get better at it. So this is def, the way this, this format lays out, it makes you, I think it will make us all better in the long run. And that's, it, it just escalate that learning curve or, or speed up that learning curve that much faster.
1: Yeah. You know, and the other thing too, is I think it's really good for the sport, you know, of walleye fishing. When we go against things like bass fishing, obviously that's more mainstream. I feel like this is going to help elevate that stage and make it you know more of a spotlight on it
3: i
2: hope so man i really do i i mean the more eyeballs land on this uh platform i think the obviously the more successful it becomes and the more people want to uh support it so they and and i think this was a great first start and the the location was a great way to to jump it off too because there's you know including yourself there's a huge local population that got to see anglers picking apart their local body of water in ways that they may not typically attack it. And, um, I think that should be pretty typical, you know, wherever we go just because we don't really know what we're doing when we get there and we don't always know what the locals know when we get there. So we just kind of do our own thing and see how it works. And then sometimes that opens up, you know, new avenues for everybody to, to play on. Well,
1: the other cool thing too, is we're not seeing it, afterwards. So, you know, I'm not seeing you guys go to, uh, the Detroit river on a different tournament when it airs a couple months later, I'm seeing it where, you know, live during the week and I see you guys, you know, approaching the river with different techniques for me as a local angler, my mind was blown and that made me want to go out and try different things because that Saturday of your guys' practice, I was out jigging my my normal way that we typically put fish in the boat and man, were the fish lockjaw on Saturday. I mean, there was another tournament going on locally that had a lot of boats in the river, but this time of year, typically the the bite is so hot, like you can get your limit really, really fast with a local angler and get off the water. For some reason, we had you know, high temps prior to you guys getting here, like almost two weeks of it. So it was almost like they had spawned out early and then you're kind of waiting in limbo for the next run of fish to come up the river. And it, you know, it, for me, at least it, I, I had to try a lot of new spots that I had never been to before, but you know, it, it's hard for me to sometimes to think outside the box to see like what you guys were doing in the tournament, pitching jigs, um, trolling and things like that, you know, we're still so stuck in our ways sometimes of what's successful. I, I personally really seen the bite shut off for me locally, and then to see you guys adapt to the the bite of for what I figured is you know it's not that good of a bite. It was really eye opening for me, and I learned a ton. Now I know what to do or different techniques to try next year or in the coming weeks when that bite is shut off in the river, how I can adapt.
2: Nice. Oh, that's cool. I, there was many times in practice where I was seeing a lot of fish being caught and i was right next to them but for whatever reason and the water temps were up in the upper 40s you know tickling 50 degrees
1: yeah it was like 48 and degrees
2: yes so i thought why do you why do i have to have a minnow on this jig to get bit <laughs> i just because it's you know with without you know the guys next to me they were putting a fresh um a, a fresh minnow on they'd put it down they'd catch a fish and then Here's me coming through with just a piece of plastic, and I, I didn't quite get them. But then a couple times, I noticed that if I would stay upstream of my jig and just let that kind of carry down a little bit, I'd get those fish, just that little bit extra time to eat it. And that was that was a way I could coax some of those vertical fish, into eating a little bit better. But other other than that, yeah, I was. Um, that's what that's what, that's another reason I kind of ended up, moving downstream a little bit to look for other types of bites. Just. I I would it would have messed with my mind to be getting outfished by everybody around me w- that had all the goods to get those bites and then here's me just coming through, you know, struggling to catch a few. <laughs> so, but but that's that's great cuz it pushes you to go yeah. look for other stuff and 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 it, like it pushed several of the anglers to find the good stuff and they and they did. And so I couldn't I drove I drove home fast. And, uh, really looked forward to yesterday when I could sit down and kind of review the tape and watch how these guys were getting their bites and, um, very impressed. I mean, how, there's some really good anglers out
1: there. How did you feel about, I mean, now that you got a camera in your boat, you know, we're seeing what you guys are pitching, what you're doing live on screen. I mean, that's something that you guys typically aren't used to, um, when it comes to maybe if you're keeping a secret, a, a certain bite secret or something like that. How did you feel about that? With like, uh, you know, the commentators and things like that, and you guys talking about what you were doing.
2: I think it's just going to have to be part of the game moving forward. You yeah. know, do do I do I wish that I could keep certain things quiet for a long time so that I could hopefully profit off of it in terms of you know tournament winnings mm-hmm. because I have an edge. Yeah, absolutely. But um, I I don't I just I don't think we. I don't think that can happen anymore, um, and people are so hungry for information that if you become that source of information, uh, there's there's value in that. So with any luck, you know, being very transparent about everything that we're doing will eventually come back, you know, to help us all in the in the long run. But yeah, in, in the short term, absolutely, I would love to you know, put a blanket over the camera sometimes to, <laughs> to keep some stuff that's near and dear to my heart. It's still there, but it is, it is what, you know, cause you know, think about it, Lee, we, we all go out and we spend so many hours, you know, we think of all, you know, ch- let me step back for a second, go, you know, going, going to a lake and spending, you know, 50 hours graphing it to, to find nooks and crannies that are hard to find only to, exploit that in a couple days on camera and now everybody just got a free pass to something that you invested a lot of time and hard work to find that's kind of deflating at times but um but then again it as far as far as overall goodness for the sport it is i think it's good to let everybody in on what you're up to and what you're doing and how you're doing it and make everybody better and they still will come to you as a as a resource for for knowledge, you know, no different than going out and finding it yourself. So it's all good.
1: Yeah, and you know, like you were saying, the formats here you can't you can't run away from it. You can't say, "Oh, I'm not going to do that or participate in it." I mean, it's like, yeah, I've got to do this. This is just the way things are now. You know, like you said, people are hungry for information. Um, you know, here we go. This is the new the new style of fishing, or this is something that I've agreed to. I mean, again, this is a little redundant, but it's just going to make you guys better i feel even though you're giving up your secrets kind of on a day-to-day basis.
2: Hey, as long as all the other anglers are giving up the goods and I'm able to watch them too. Yeah. It's it's probably a pretty decent trade-off. And I and when I I talked to Brian Keller, the founder of this thing for quite a while before this season started before I gave my final commitment to wanting to fish it, and I could just hear a certain confidence in him that he he knew that this is what the sport needed and he felt like he had the foundation ready to go to, to pull this off. And, and I could just hear that in his voice and it gave me, um, it put me at ease to, 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 to give it a shot. And, you know, I was just thinking to myself, well, we're, you know, if this format doesn't work with my brain and it just doesn't feel right, I can always, you know, fish other stuff. But after this last one, man, I really enjoyed it and I'm already already looking forward to the next one even though I've just been done fishing it for one day so that that must mean it was a success I guess
1: yeah it's fun as hell to watch you guys but um <laughs> locally I'll tell you what me you know like Saturday when I went out and I got my ass kicked I came home and I wanted to see what you guys were doing cuz I knew that Andy was going to be uh interviewing you guys after practice and when we we started to go through anglers and the anglers were scratching their head and you guys were all like man I don't know. This is not the bite that I thought. I thought it would be hot and heavy. There's just, you know, not the fi- the fish aren't biting as quickly and as aggressively as I wanted to. I felt great because I took my dad out on the water and we got a big goose egg Saturday.
2: <laughs> well, so you didn't feel too bad after you heard everybody else was struggling.
1: Oh, yeah. It was great. I was like, oh, man, see, they are human. <laughs>
2: oh, for sure. We're all... <laughs> We're all just a bunch of idiots trying to catch fish. So yeah, nothing, nothing magical.
1: All right. So being a local, and then uh, I want to go through one more scenario here, and then I'll, I'll let you go. But, um, you know, take me through that. You were really excited about having a, you know, a, a jigging and a rod in your hand. Um, you said it was one of the funner days when you were out there catching fish. Kind of take us through that. You know, if you want to take my my scenario for example i'm not catching anything vertical jigging what did you see about the detroit river being from you know an outsider and and what made you or what bodies or i'm sorry not bodies but areas that you focused on in the river were picking up a jig in the middle and a lighter jig head than that one ounce to pitch and uh you know kind of talk about your technique what you were using all that kind of stuff
2: uh, I, I was pitching heavy jigs in the river during practice mm-hmm. because, well, I just, that's what I had tied on for vertical. Um, but then I downsized a little bit, you know, to that half and five ace size just so I could still stay tight to, to tight drops. And, and, and so you have good coverage on a fall on a tight drop, So you don't just get left out in la la land away from, uh, you know, where a wall I might actually be set up and biting. So, I, but I didn't find much success doing that. Where I ended up pitching lighter jigs was down at the, at the bottom of our boundary where there wasn't as much current. It was, it fished more like a lake. And all I, and I was just doing it for sheer efficiency. When I, when I started, when my waypoint cluster started really getting clustered and I knew that, okay, instead of, instead of going back for another pass and taking 10 minutes out of my life to run two crankbaits over the spot, hoping to get touched and then go do it again. You know, why don't you just get upstream from them a little bit and try to pitch to them? I I have a river right down the street from my house here, the Rock River, and I fish it the exact same way. It's 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 lighter current there. I love getting upstream from good fish holding areas and pitching light jigs to them and just kind of sweeping fun stuff through them because when those fish take it, it's just the it's the most that's that's like the most gratifying feeling ever. You know, when you stick a fish on a jig and you don't get to feel it inhale it it's like you get robbed you know right you didn't get you don't get the whole experience the whole experience for me is just feeling that jig swimming towards bottom and just getting walloped by a wall <laughs> that's that's so funny when you're when you're not having the best day and you're and you're getting beat and there's uh, and the only thing you can do is probably turn around and try to have a fun day
1: that's the way to do it um huh?
2: that's what you're going to see me do because that's what I really love anyway. <laughs> so, you, Anyways, so yeah,
1: um, yeah, Oh, go ahead. No. So I, I'm kind of getting in your brain here, but you found that body of air or water that you kind of said as the Southern end of your boundary or whatever it was current isn't as gre- as aggressive in, in as it is in the middle of the river, were you side imaging? And then like you said, dropping waypoints. And you said when your waypoints became clustered, that's where you set up and then would you just float down or would you still kind of, you know, hold in one spot and then slowly float down.
2: Well, on the first day of the tournament, I hooked up, I caught, I had a double on, on this. Basically what they are is they're small gravel patches or rock patches, gravel rock patches. And then there's subtle points sticking out on the, uh, on some of those gravel flats that were the hot parts that you needed to cross your crankbaits on. Mm -hmm. And, um, so the, the first pass of the first day of the tournament, I had a double going over one of those spots. And then as I was reeling those fish in, I had forgotten to put my autopilot on. So my trolling motor was already turning me to the left. And so basically, as I was fighting those fish, I was doing a big circle and putting myself in perfect position to come right back through again once I got those fish taken care of and my cranks back out. And so it just made sense to me like, okay, I guess I just got to make this spot dizzy today as that started to play out. And And that's how stuff that's how the good stuff ends up. You've, that's how you end up finding good stuff in tournaments, is usually by accident or a mishap like that, where I forgot to put, you know, push my autopilot button, so I have a straight track. I just, I magically ended back up in the same spot I started the tournament on to set up my trolling pass. So, anyways, that that got me going. And okay, work this area and work it thoroughly, and don't don't make this a two mile pass. Just, you know, the fish are there. I could see them on side scan, and then like you said, once I once I think it was on day three or day. Day two or day three or something, I started to pitch on some of those hotter spots, and and you could see, um, you could see the fish off to the side as they would come through, or your boat would pass over. You know, you'd see them out fifty feet to the left and and or fifty feet to the right, and you just make a cast, and by the time your jig hit bottom, you were hopefully coming right back through there. And it's not an it's not automatic. Just because you see them doesn't mean you get them to get them get them to bite, but mm-hmm. at least gives you confidence that there's life over there. And if you can intercept wherever intercept them at some point, you're you're gonna you're gonna get bit. So you just kept your eyes glued to that screen so you could see hints of life on either side of the boat. And you and based on the wind and the current and your boat positioning, you just try to make the most that you try to make the smartest cast you can so that you intercept that little group of life.
1: There's so much going on there, and it, if you listen to the anglers like yourself when they was you know time to interview or you guys were talking after your day, I mean every single time every angler said how important their electronics were when they were out there, especially in a body of water, like the river, um, current changing all the time. As you probably can see the bottom, there's different kinds of structures weaving in and out of that 26 mile stretch all the way up. No area is the same for the most part. And there's a lot of different things that you can get snagged up on. So, um, you know, between your electronics, like you said, the the current and then, and then staying, staying in that area, there's a lot going on in order to get that bite to happen for you guys.
2: Yeah, a lot going on. I wish I would have put some of these things together sooner in the tournament. Um, but then again, if that water would have, I, I think the reason I had a really tough day on that third day was just because that that current just slacked off so much. You know, we had such a strong south wind blowing the lake back up into the river that my area just became an extension of the lake, and it didn't have any current to set those fish up on those same little gravelly points that they were on before mm-hmm. so um that that's and after fishing that spot for five days straight that was the only variable i could find other than some light conditions that would have adjusted why fish weren't hanging up in there for a little bit or being active right away in the morning is just it's just that just that just that water movement so when no, you, were, when, you
1: were, yeah. when you were pitching that jig and working it back to the boat, did you notice that different times throughout the day you had to work it differently like a, like you said in the morning when the bite wasn't as aggressive, were you less aggressive with the with the rod flickers on the way back and then as the day went on, you kind of picked up a little bit more
2: no it didn't seem like those fish were really hot and heavy uh other than the first couple passes of the day okay basically, I would come through trolling wise I'd come through and i'd try I'd almost start every day off with a double. um and then just because of those fit i would have loved to start the tournament at seven o'clock in the morning instead of (laughs) eight probably would have had some extra weight in the boat but um so it's trolling wise it started off hot and heavy but then by the time i had the confidence to put a jig in my hand and start casting those fish just had hit the wall activity wise but that doesn't mean you have to go to a finesse type retrieve sometimes you know giving some you know some erratic hops and pit and bumps to your jig can get a, a negative fish to say, okay, well, okay, I, I'll grab it now, you know, instead of just letting him see it coming from a mile away and track it and time it. And they're not in, they're not into hunting it they're You just need to bop them on the head and get them to bite, I think. So, yeah. um, so you can't be scared to have an a, aggressive cadence, even when the bite is off. I don't think.
1: What rod were you using? Uh, well, I, I was, I was locked I
2: had three JT rods ready to go with spinning rods. One had a crankbait on it. That was my seven three Black Rain. So that was that gives a nice sweep, and you can give really sharp little twitches to the to the stick bait I was using. Yep. When you're flatlining it, and then as far as jigs go, um, from five sixteenths down, I was using the seven JTX. Yep. And then from um, from five up, I would use my six nine Black Rain and. I, if I had to pick, based on after after a couple days of fishing, I probably had the most fun with the little bit lighter jigs and the seven one JTX because when you when that that rod has a little bit more parabolic action and when you load up on a fish with that, you know you almost feel it all the way down to your hand. The when when you finally seat that hook home, you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, yeah. It it feels so good to load that rod up. It just makes me so happy. (laughs) That's a that's the way I finished the
1: tournament on. It helps give you eyes underwaters too. Like when you're hopping it over those gravel beds, you kinda get a really good feel about um, you know, what your jig's doing and how the structure is changing underneath you. You know, you can you can tell when you're on some some heavier duty rocks and then when you kinda start to get into that sandy bottom, you're not getting that transfer back. So it's just yes. it, it was interesting to see, you know, what rods you had in the boat based off of so many different ways to fish. But
2: it was it was hard sometimes, Lee. I mean the, the Detroit River has a really A lot of it is just as a fairly soft bottom, so it doesn't telegraph very good, you know, whether even if you're handlining, sometimes it just doesn't doesn't telegraph the way a, a lot of rivers do. So it's not the easiest place to fish, and I think that's one reason why the heavy jigs are so popular there, isn't it? Just because, oh yeah, you, that way there's no there's no question that you can't let any more line out because you're all the way
1: on bottom. Everybody likes so, to know they're on bottom. That here, yes, <laughs> as long as you're on bottom, you're you least in the game. That's what everybody thinks. But <laughs> well, cool, man. No. Well, hey, it was exciting to see you in my my local waters. Uh, it was a it was a great tournament to watch. I'm so pumped for you, and I was really happy to see your name. Um, as one of the 32 anglers, along with some others that I recognize in there, and uh, you know, I just I'm really pumped for your season. And you just your attitude when you're out there—you're you're probably the most upbeat dude and glass half full guy <laughs> I've ever I've ever watched. And it's it's a lot of fun to watch you, Joe.
2: Oh, you just saw me on my good days, is all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just
2: kidding. No, it was a lot of fun, man. I I can't wait for Lake Wisconsin. It's going to be a much more challenging bite. You're going to see guys struggle, but with the group of anglers that are playing, I'm sure some of them are going to make all the locals of southern Wisconsin just turn their heads and say, how the heck did that person figure it out? So I'm really looking forward to the rest of this season.
1: Yeah, is there one that sticks out to you where you're like, I can't wait to get to that body of water? You got Mille Lacs, Mississippi River, Lake McConaughey, and then there's the the one over in New York, Lake... I don't even know how to pronounce that one.
2: <laughs> no, I I think the Detroit River was actually... The one that i had been looking forward to the most because i figured there'd be a lot of fish i figured there'd be a lot of big fish okay i figured there'd be a lot of action to put on a really good show to get this thing started and it but it, i mean regardless of the you know just because there wasn't a bunch of 10 pounders jumping in the boat that, the the way this format plays out the the tension is still there the drama unfolding is still there the competition isn't any less fierce and and I and I, w- I really put a lot of effort over the offseason into getting my ducks in a row for this first tournament. But after this, I don't know. They'll, they're all going to be fun because I I really know not a lot about any of them. And and that's the way I like it. So cool. we'll just go fish by the seat of our pants the rest of the year and see how happens. See what happens.
1: All right. All right. Joe Kata, when can uh, or where can people go to, to to follow along more with what you're doing on social, et cetera?
2: Yeah, just, just social. You can find me and message me on there, Facebook and Instagram. I'm sure you'll see some stuff on YouTube this year as we go along. But, uh, but yeah, all the usuals. Just find me at Joe Okada and say hello.
1: All right, buddy. Well, hey, thanks for your time today, and uh, good luck the rest of the season.
2: Thanks, man. Talk to you later.
1: All right. There you have it, Joe Okada, professional walleye angler, just really breaking it down for us, telling us about what his thoughts on the Detroit River and the head-to-head fishing format Again, I want to thank Joe for coming on the podcast, but man, if you guys haven't been following along with Joe, um just for his professional fishing career, the dude gives out great advice. He's always positive and upbeat, very approachable. If you guys ever see him at a tournament, um you know, I would have all the confidence in the world to say go up, introduce yourself. And if there's something that you want to ask him or just to get to know him a little bit better, uh, the dude will take the time to, uh, to talk to you. So again, thank you to Joe. Make sure you guys head on and follow him over on Instagram and, uh, uh, Facebook. Just type in Joe Okada and that's O K A D A Okada. And, um, yeah. Yeah more content to come everybody and more exciting things happening here uh, as the weather starts to warm up. So in the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.
3: So you could get in there and kill a bull. You know, I, I don't think that's the hardest part of the hunt in a lot of aspects because now you have several hundred pounds of meat there. You have to have a plan for is it warm? Is it warm out? Uh, that's going to be a huge factor. You know, the, if you kill a bull, you have, if it's warm out, you have a certain amount of time before you got to get those the bottom side, the quarters that are on the ground, you have to get that taken care of before it spoils. It doesn't take that terribly long. So what's your plan when you kill that bull? Do you have the proper tools? Um, Game bags, you got to have game bags. I always carry of course game bags and I have a spray of citric acid to keep bugs and flies, everything else off of that meat, uh, game bags uh, with uh, rope to hoist them up into a tree. If it's warm out and there's a good running clean creek close by, you can put them in the game bags, submerge in the water to get them cooled down. Heck, you can leave them in there if you want um, between packouts. Um, it's, if it's cold out, great. You know, you can have a lot more freedom in how you get that meat out. But I've also been in areas that when you kill an elk, there's going to be a bear on that kill within a certain amount of time. It's just funny how that smell can travel and how fast a bear can find the food. Even wolves, you know, I've seen, heard it happen and I've seen it happen too. So getting that meat up in the tree is very important. Make sure you have the supplies you need. Make sure you have uh, good knives to take that, that bowl apart. Um, again, the rope. You can use that. You lift the meat up also to use it to hold a leg to the side when you're starting to either bone it out or quarter it out. Um, And then be thinking about it your entire way in to kill an elk, whether it's a half mile from the road, whether it's a mile or two from the road. You might have got there doing a zigzag route through some really nasty country. But now the whole time you're going, you need to be thinking about, okay, what's my exfil out of here? How am I gonna get this elk out? I can't maybe go the same route I came into here, but is that the only way? Um, You get into some of that nasty country, you gotta really ask yourself, can I actually get out of here with a load in this area? And there's been times in the past where I've killed an elk and tried to go out the way I came in and it just doesn't work. So you you gotta rely on your maps, um, looking at the terrain, Uh, what's the best way to get out of there safely um what's the best way to make sure that meat's taken care of and also remember a lot of these states too the last thing that you have to take out legally would be the antlers um a lot of states have that the the elk you got to get the meat out before you take the antlers so it's it's proving to the wardens you're not just there to take antlers you're not just wanting waste and leaving the meat So make sure you're up on your regulations of the state and and what's required of you as well, the tagging process. You know, a lot of it, you got to have that tag on as soon as you walk up to that animal. Or you got to have the tag on as soon as you start to carry that meat or do any sort of transport of the meat. And then it also comes down to, okay, so the regulations say the, the tag has to be with the greatest portion of meat. Okay, so there's that I've asked questions, game and fish here. What does that mean? Do I leave the tag with the bowl as I take out the first couple of loads? And then when most of the meat's starting to come out, do I have it transport that tag with me and leave at the the cooler at my vehicle? Um, just make sure you don't forget any of that. Have the plans, have all of your plans. And it's just like anything in the military, you know, you got an operation order and, and have a plan for everything, you know. The more things you can cover off before you kill that elk, the better you're going to be in getting it out of there.
0: Courses of action. Absolutely. COA development. Yeah. (laughs) If you're not military, sorry, we're not going to teach you that because that's a terribly (laughs) boring course.
3: (laughs) It is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: Well, that's cool. I, I appreciate sharing all of that knowledge. Do you have a story? Do you think you got anything that I kind of surprised you with that? I should have told you ahead of time.
3: No, no. Like I said, when, before we started this, I kind of wing it, you know, yep. um, I got stories. We could talk all day long and, and maybe someday we'll get to sit around campfire and drink beer and really tell stories or something. Yeah, but definitely. You want a nightmarish story or
0: <laughs> I just want a good lessons learned, right? Like something that kicked your ass and you came out of it and you, you learned a lot from it. So I've been that guy
3: who thinks I have all it takes to get to the mountain and do a hunt and everything's gonna go textbook. But like we said earlier, you get to the base of the mountain and you look up and you're like, the hell am I doing? You know, it, the elevation is you, you can't gauge that you start hiking in and there's, there's, there's a point where you have to decide, are you ready for this or are you not? And I think if you're at that point, just push yourself a little bit more. Otherwise, you're not going to learn anything different. But I was at that point before. um, Got deep into the mountains. um, Killed an animal. And then quickly found out, you know, it's, I can kill the animal. Getting it out is a whole different ballgame. Luckily, the the weather was good to where the meat wouldn't spoil. But I'm telling you what, on a solo hunt by the fourth pack out, you're spent. You really are. And I don't think I could walk the next day. You know, the, it looked like somebody took meat cleavers to my my feet and cut, cut chunks of meat out. And, and, and that wasn't even a solo hunt. You know, it was with a, my best friend and he too. We got it done, but were we fully prepared for what was ahead of us? Absolutely not. Uh, when we killed that animal, a thunderstorm rolled in and we're above 10,000 feet lightning strikes in places far closer than I ever like to ever imagine happening again. And it was just one thing after another went wrong. We killed a great, great buck and we got out of there in one piece, but I don't think we were fully prepared for what was ahead of us. We went a little bit farther than maybe we should have, but we definitely learned a lot on that one. Mental preparedness. um, I like to think I'm a tough guy and I can, handle everything that's thrown at me but really you can't you know there's so many aspects that go into that on day six of a hunt on the mount by yourself um still am humbled in many ways on hunts even to this day you know even doing it year after year there's always a mental anguish that comes in and and will play a toll on you and and i still deal with that as well um i guess i don't really have any hunts that were absolute nightmares
0: um well that one with chunks out of your feet that sounds
3: pretty bad to me <laughs> well, it was but you know <laughs> everything leading up to that it was definitely a learning experience if we went to kill an animal it would have been harder to swallow
0: yeah um but so you know, did, did you that, guys just have bad boots or what like what was the story well, on on the how were you in prepared, Ill prepared ill did
3: yeah we did not have the mountain type boot we should have you know I was young learning wearing and I'm not trying to bad mouth an over-the-counter boot you can buy at your box store but it wasn't a mountain boot it didn't have the support Um, on top of that you know that rainstorm thunderstorm came in and we were soaked to the bone you know there's water we take our boots off and dump water mixed with blood out of our boots and that was last time I went on the mountain without a mountain type boot if you will and Mm -hmm. So you, you know, a whole other topic we can get on is is gear. What kind of gear do you need for the mountain? You can't go up there with your Solomon tennis shoes and expect to be comfortable in the mountains. Yeah, you know, you got to have the support needed. You got to have a good pack. Um, whatever weapon setup, it, it's got to be set up the right way. A lot of different aspects.
0: Yeah, let's talk gear then. Um, just like essential gear, I don't think we need to run down every piece that's in your pack but what do you consider to be you're not going to the mountain without it
3: a loincloth one arrow and (laughs) that's about all you need that's it good to go that's all you need yeah
0: and a couple of days and you'll figure it out right maybe a snare
3: maybe a snare just in case yeah and a a whole lot of good luck yeah (laughs) you know (laughs) you know you, you gotta have like we we're just talking the boots. You got to have a good pair of boots. If you don't, if your feet are hurting you, that's really going to limit your your hunting. Make sure you have good boots, whatever brand that may be. I know it works for me. Uh, everybody's got a lot of different different opinions on boots, but make sure you have a good boot. You know, your bow and arrow, your rifle. There's so many different options out there. Just make sure it's good for whatever animal you're hunting. Um, good optics, but. You know, there's so many, so Backpack many different. Yeah, there's well. so many, so many different brands out there. Just make sure you're using the stuff that works for you. Mm-hmm. The boots, good pack. Make sure you have enough clothing in your pack to for adverse weather conditions. Yeah, sure, it might be great when you get there, but in a drop of a hat, in the mountains, the next day you could be stuck in a blizzard. Uh, make sure you have the some of the correct stuff with you. Uh, safety, always, always have some kind of a first aid kit. I don't go anywhere with anti clogging agent, um, a tourniquet, um, all all that stuff. That's going to save your life. You definitely need to have that on a trip. If you're going a quarter mile from your truck or if you're going a mile, it doesn't matter how far you are. You never know when something bad could happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, it's also important when you're doing research for your gear, especially boots and backpack, all you got to do is ask the question on Facebook what's the best boot? What's the best backpack? And you're going to get all the right answers, right? <laughs> you are, you are. And then yeah. pretty soon
3: yeah. it turns into an assault on others and people oh, arguing and
0: so funny to yeah. read through those. It gets pretty wild, but it does. I, what Jared, I think Jared said it. It's you really need to. So when I look for new boot, now I know what works for my feet, but when I was looking for boots, I went to multiple different stores, tried on multiple different kinds. Like I didn't just buy whatever was cool on the internet. I bought what was awesome on my feet and I've had really, yeah. really good luck with, with boots doing it that way. I, I don't buy Well, now I can buy them online because I know what works and what boot I like. And I absolutely continuing to buy those. But in those first couple of years, I went to stores like REI that had massive amount, not massive, but several different options. And REI has a really good, um, return program. You can turn up, you can return a pair of boots in a year, even if they got no kidding. Yeah. They'll take them back. So I had a pair that I
3: wore. REI is going to go out of business tomorrow now, Chad. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, you know, what's funny (laughs) is there's still that whole group of people that are like, I'll never buy anything from REI. They're anti-hunting. Well, i tell you what they are is really good return program. So I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going back to REI. Uh, But no, they, they just have good options and it's a good place to try them on. If you, if you don't have a, a, some other place
3: local, you can go try them out. And you you know what I, since we're talking boots, uh, I, you know, I, I've wore Kenetrex, I've wore Crispies, great boots, love them. Um, and I stepped into using Lathrop and Sons, their custom boot system. And I know you've heard of that. The price tag scares a guy at first, but after they map your feet and they send you the impressions and you do all those things, and they call you on the phone and they're talking to you about things you never knew your feet were. And then they build a boot that fits around your foot. It, for me, you know, everybody's different. Uh, that's my go-to is the Lathrop and Sons, of custom boots system. It's just hard to beat that in my opinion.
0: And that I, boots aren't something you're going to replace every single year. No, that how no. you hunt a lot. How often do you replace a pair of boots?
3: Yeah, you that's, know, it's funny when you said that, it just made me think of guys who say, Oh, I put 1500 miles on my boots last year. <laughs> no, you didn't. Yeah. You don't have to, you if, don't have to be that guy on from the driver's media, seat yeah. of your truck. <laughs> yeah yeah you know i I've, i suppose three years um stretching it um two three years um but you know, like boots they are gonna wear out um they always are um early on when i was wearing those danners off the shelf at cabela's they don't last very long but a good mountain boot with boot with a good shank and it, it, you're gonna get a few years out of two three years out of them um depending how you treat them
0: yeah and it's said over and over again that that's one of the essentials right so if it's essential why if you're going to throw money down on it otherwise your hunt's going to go you're going home early you know yeah you don't Uh, you don't
3: a lot most guys don't buy the cheapest tire you can at walmart to put on your your pickup yeah why would you do that to your feet yeah that's a good way to put it what about backpacks
0: Go ahead with Kenetrek, go
3: ahead. Kenetrek, Crispy, Lathrop & Sons, Loa's. There's a lot of great boot companies out there. And just one other thing I wanted to mention, you know, when you're talking gear, what gear should I use? That's the other thing, you know, you, you put a comment on Facebook, what boots should I buy? What bow should I buy? You open yourself up to a lot of a lot of different options. But what you have to be real with yourself is what works for you. And what doesn't work for everybody that's telling you what to buy? You got to get out there and you got to find what works for you the best. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For so you sure. mentioned packs. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So I've never really been, um, I haven't used enough packs like I want to say I have.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, early on, I was just using whatever I found on sale at the local store, Cabela Shields, stuff, stuff like that. I used to use an external frame pack called the Cabela's, I forget the name of it, but I used to use an external pack from Cabela's. It worked great, it did very well for me, but at the time I didn't know what a good pack meant. Um, it, it fulfilled what I needed to do. And then after that, I was picked up for a sponsorship from Tenzing, not the best pack on the market. Did it get the job done? Absolutely it did but I know there's better packs out there. I just haven't went down that route. I got so many Tenzing pa- packs right now, I'm just, I'm using them, but every time I use them, I know there's something better out there. You know, the the EXO gear, the Mystery Ranch intrigues me very much, and I wanna eventually get to the point where I'm using one of those packs, but. Yeah.
0: Well, if it works, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Like they say, yeah, it's working yeah. for you.
3: The next day when my back is really sore, that's usually when I think about, you know, maybe I could have had a better pack. <laughs>
0: i could have had something different yeah
3: you know the that's kafaru good. that's definitely um i think they're top of their game right now in packs too yeah there's a lot pack. of good options out there you'll know, get out there and try all the different brands and find what works best for you and what fits you the best yeah
0: yeah and that's that i think that goes for all of that essential gear just you just got to try it you know and if it means you go out and go on a Uh, um, scouting trip or something to try out your boots and your backpack and maybe you go home and that stuff sucked and you're going to need something different you go home you go for two days and you got blisters all over your feet and you can't walk probably not what you want to hunt in (laughs) sell them on ebay yeah there you go there you go well all right man you got anything
3: else before we wrap it up no not really you know there's always uh, i'll turn around and i'll listen to this when you put it out there and i'm like i should have talked about that more I should have said something different, and that's how it always is. It, you know, you, there's so much information that's out there, and trying to articulate that to the listener sometimes can be challenging. Um, as always, anybody has questions for me, and I'm a pretty easy guy to find. Please reach out. Yeah, where where do people find you? Um, type in my name about anywhere social media, you'll pull it up. I get questions a lot from guys that I've never met asking questions and that's one of the things i like to do is is i like to share information i like to help others in the in the outdoors um help them be more successful i'm not a really closed off guy i like to share what works for me and by no means i'm gonna tell you yep go to this ridge i killed a good bull there you know don't be that guy to say okay i got this tag now tell me where to go Uh, i'm not gonna tell you
0: i tell people I, i hunt bull elk in the everglades of florida (laughs) <laughs> when they ask there's big books down there yeah
3: you know what though there are guys that would believe
0: it yeah oh yeah they'll be looking for what unit what unit is that i've never seen yeah
3: that's so <laughs> yeah i won't come out and tell you exactly where to go but i'll help you along the way
0: yeah and that's awesome so and you're very approachable on social media we connected through instagram i think yep. one of those yep. but it, whatever it was i reached out and you know, within a day I got a, Hey, what's going on? Kind of an answer. And we've, we've touched base and continue to communicate. So, um, you got, you got a lot of articles out there on Agora. You got some Rockslide stuff out there too. I, think. I do.
3: Right? Yep. Yeah. I do quite a few reviews on rockslide.com. Um, quite a few, uh, articles on, uh, Agora through the quick cryptic website. Uh, heck you can even do a search on google you type my name you'll pull up a bunch of stuff too cool
0: i'll link all that stuff in the show description so if anybody's looking to get in touch with jared or wants to talk to him some more then um hit him up he's out there and available and with that man i appreciate you
3: coming on thank you thanks chad i really appreciate it um hopefully we can get together and do a new one uh, again down the road here yeah i think so i'm sure we can come up with some kind of topic for sure
0: all right all right man